I genuinely believe there is a role for AI in making our use of time much more effective and to support learning. But that use of time we're freeing up is to allow us to further foster the human element of teaching and learning. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Slow Smoke Business Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Morgan, already blue gloved up, which means you know I'm ready to put something on the grill. And today we have my new friend, Al Kingsley, on the show. Welcome, Al. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. I'm thrilled to have you here. Now, this is the first time ever I am uh, outnumbered by Brits on the show. So we have we've, we we always joke that we have uh, somebody in the UK as a producer, and they ne- and they always joke that they never know what the heck I'm cooking. And today, uh, I have another one on the show in Al. However, he does tell me that he spent some time in Georgia, so he's probably got a little bit of barbecue street cred. Go Falcons, eh? Hey, whoa. Okay. That is, that's how you know he's for real. He just, he just hearkened the Falcons. You were, you really did live in Atlanta if you're claiming the Falcons. I had a few years just north of Atlanta. Yeah. Very, very fond memories in the early 2000s when Atlanta was going through a really big change, growing very fast. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, uh, Al runs net support and not only does he do that, but he is, uh, has been referred to as the nicest guy in ed tech, which, uh, that makes me very excited to talk to him. How do you earn a title like that, by the way? Who do, who do you pay off? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? I'm not sure, really. But I am. I, I think the key is I'm a lifelong learner. And the best way to learn is to make good relationships with people, share what you know. And um, I think that certainly goes a long way. Well, I love that. And speaking of learning, uh, I'm currently learning to barbecue live on the Internet. Everybody assumes that I know what I'm doing because I have this show. And that could not be further from the truth. I just say I'm not an expert. I'm an enthusiast. So for today, we're going to be doing what is called country style ribs. Uh, It's essentially pork shoulder that uh, has been cut into strips to look like ribs. Can you see that, Al? I certainly can. Yeah, I can smell it as well. Okay, made it all the way over there. (laughs) So we marinated these in um, coconut aminos, which is a sort of a healthier alternative to, not that I'm trying to hit health by cooking pork here, but healthier alternative to um, a lot of the store-bought marinades that you'll find. Um, Put those on the grill, and I'm going to hit them with some gospel rub here. We call it the gospel. And we're going to get these bad boys cooking to about the government-approved 160 temperature. We don't ever want medium-rare pork. You ever do any cooking out right. over there, Al? Is that something you guys do? We do. We just don't have quite as big a window in the year where it's actually nice to do it. But when we can, absolutely. Well, there yeah. you go. All right. So we're going to put these guys on. I usually put a probe in, but I'm just going to keep an eye on them. We're going to let them go. I'll keep an eye on them for you. Don't you worry. Keep, you can. <laughs> That's great. So, Al, one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about You know, I spent, for those that are new to the show, I spent 15 years founding and building an ed tech company called ProctorU that's now known as Measure Learning, Um, probably, I would say, the leading online testing company in the world. And uh, that story and that process was uh, was really something to do in ed tech because 
it is such an interesting industry with its with with quirks and 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 but but yet you know the mission is so important because of the fact that you're trying to educate people and the next generation is depending on you but the one thing that i definitely saw was that um sustained success and sustained relevance was not the norm in high in in ed tech right and so for you guys at no. net support you've been around for i think it's 34 years is that right just getting the hang of it now, yeah. Just get. <laughs> well, if you don't have the hang of it, I don't know. If we, none of us will ever get it. But how, you know, talk about that for a second because I mean, the whole thing with slow smoke business is the concept of of slow process and learning and how you can make a beautiful brisket is you kind of cook it slowly and you got to learn how to do it and all these things. And yeah. I just have seen so many companies rise in ed tech, be super relevant, and then ten years later, people can't even remember the name of it. Uh, so for you guys to have been so successful for so long, it's just something really remarkable. So how does a company like yours, especially in the tech industry that is rolling over every 24 months this is a whole new kind of scenario that you're in. How does a tech company like yours remain relevant for so long? It's a really good question. And, and whilst I wouldn't want to um, necessarily judge everybody in the same mold, I think one thing that, that I most definitely see is that many technology businesses that start up by the nature of the market um, in order to grow require external investment and external investment often creates um, a, a focus and a priority on profitability and return over a period of time we started out with a with a mindset which is probably um, it slowed our growth but you know that was quite it was a slow smoked growth that we went for in the sense that we wanted to sell fund and recognize that the landscape for technology is moving so fast. It certainly is when you align it with pedagogy and think of it within the context of education, that you can't make a product and sell it full stop, or I should say period in, in an American sense. You know, there is always a case of it's about evolution, it's about co-production, it's about constant development. And the nature of that is you take a hit. You either go to make something that you box and finish, and then make your return from, or you commit that you're going to continually develop it based on feedback and the relationship you develop with schools. And in doing so, that makes it probably, in, in all honesty, a more expensive proposition. But what it does do is it makes the product um, have a much longer longevity because it's constantly adapting and evolving based on what schools need right now. Uh, and so that creates two things. One is a, an expectation that it's not necessarily high yield. It's being it for the long haul. And the second is, I believe, you can only be successful in our space if you have at least one of your feet actually in the education space. Okay. You can't make stuff and tell educators what they need. You have to work with them and understand the pressures and then come up collectively with solutions. So, I, so it's funny you said that because I was about to ask, how do you know what schools need? How do you figure out, you know, your, your, we talk on, a lot about talking mm -hmm. to our customers and things on the show. Your customers are schools and schools are a very unique customer set. So you, I was expecting you to say you spoke to your customers a lot and I assume that you do, but you say that you have one foot in the education space while you're serving it. So what do you mean by that? So uh, alongside my role as group CEO of NetSport, I am chair of a multi-academy trust. Think of it as a small school district. 
Um, I'm also chair of an alternative provision academy, so education for young people that struggle in mainstream education. I lead our region's special educational needs and disabilities board. And I also work with the Department for Education supporting academies, as they're called, one category of schools across the east of England, which in essence means I spend a lot of time supporting and working in schools. And in doing so, as well as hopefully sharing words of wisdom based on my 30 years in the space, I'm also constantly hearing and learning about what the current pressures and frustrations are. And often with technology, the pressures aren't the technology. It's the lack of understanding of how to use them or how Mm. to use them with purpose and impact. And for many years, I would fall into the same guilty category of thinking the best product's the one with the most features in it, the one with the most buttons on the toolbar. We do more than somebody else. Um, And over time, maybe with a bit of wisdom, I've learned when we think about changing technology, and maybe that comes under the category of digital disruption, we always start off with a minimum viable product. And then based on customer feedback, what our competitors are doing, and maybe some inspiring ideas ourselves, Year after year, we add more functionality, but you actually reach a critical mass where the product does more than the actual educator or the teacher needs or the student. And so you have to be bold enough to say, this is a good point to reset, look at what the technology is now, repackage, repurpose in a different way that's fit for a new, perhaps platform agnostic learning environment. And unless you're bold enough to do that, which takes a lot of cost because you're almost going back to the drawing board with all the, the experience and ideas you've got, you fall into the trap like many of just keep on trying to extend the existing product for longer and longer. And it ceases to be as usable. The last few years, I'd say we all know, Jared, you know, that when we were suddenly forced in many schools to adopt technology to mitigate the pandemic in some shape or form, for many educators, the biggest barrier was confidence in actually using the tools. And so being presented with something that does 10,000 things when all they really wanted to do was be able to see what the children were doing and shepherd and nurture them right. is, is a barrier. So accessibility, ease of use, transferability. If you've got a product that people feel confident using within you know 30 minutes to an hour of playing with it, that's got a lot more traction and mileage than a product that you need to go to college to study a degree for. I think that the the technology industry will be learning from the COVID-19 pandemic for decades and decades to come because you had a situation where you talked about the confidence. And I think the confidence gap came from the fact that these things were uh, vetted, rolled out, um, and, and, and deployed into use with very little training and, and kind of through no one's fault because of the circumstance um, but you had a lot of people trying to, to your point, you had a lot of people trying to use technologies that were, um, you know, spaceships, so to speak. And all they really needed <laughs> yeah. to do was get to the grocery store. Right. Um, and I think you, you can shore a lot of that up through proper training. You can throw, you know, customer communication, you know, product marketing, all of those things. But when you are forced to do them in such a tight time frame. And and you and you were forced to do them across the board. I think it even even in circumstances where you would probably, without the global pandemic breathing down your neck, would say, well, we probably wouldn't have used it, that particular tech tool in this circumstance. Everybody had to use it, and there was a lot to learn from there. I'm curious what you guys at Net Support learned from that two year period of everything moving to tech so fast. 
I'd like to say we learned loads. I, I think, and I mean it in a reflective way, I think because of the nature of the way that we've worked in education, we already had a pretty good idea. I've, I've never been somebody that supports the idea of selling products to schools. I've always been that you start a relationship with a school and that's how you generate longevity. Um, schools will stick with technology if they feel like they're being heard, if you can be responsive to them. And that also ties in with providing the right resources for their own PD for confidence on it. What we absolutely learned, though, and there are always lessons that you learn during the pandemic, um, and it's an interesting statement from somebody who is hugely committed to the effective use of educational technology, is that sometimes less is more. Mm. And what I mean by that is there was almost a sense, you know, and I've, I've written books and shared lots of resources on, on schools and districts building their own digital strategy, that there's somehow a race to if we don't have this much technology used in our classroom, if our teachers aren't now using AI for lesson preparation, we're somehow behind the curve. And actually, the most successful projects are about stepping stones, not trying to do too many things at once and making sure that when you look at new technology, it becomes embedded with the right level of professional development, that you understand the why, why are we using this technology, the how we're going to measure it and implement it, and really understanding what the true measures of impact would be. Because we're very used to impact when it comes to anything in schools being ultimately about student outcomes. But if we think of the landscape now, actually some of the best tools are about improving student well-being. They're about saving staff time. They're about effectively presenting data to support staff interventions. And so our, kind of our measures of impact have changed. And I think the pandemic escalated that. Because if you ask most leaders of schools right now, what's your number one concern? I guarantee you it won't be our outcomes. It will more likely be we're struggling with staff retention or staff oh, recruitment. Man. We're studying with supporting our children with their mental health needs. And so we, we need to be mindful that we can't get to choose what our products are there for. We need to be there to support what the genuine pressures are that our schools are, are under. And be bold enough to say sometimes... Do you know what? Some of the best lessons don't involve technology at all. And great. That's absolutely fantastic because that human to human interaction that we see within the classroom is often the most powerful and most impactful part. But that doesn't mean that technology can't be the enabler if it's done right and when it's done for purpose. So, I mean, that's so good that you think about it that way. I'm curious that, you know, Post-pandemic, there's so much talk about artificial intelligence. And yeah. I've had people on this show, and we can get you know super deep under the hood about the ones and zeros and the beeps and boops. And I don't really want to talk about that. I'd really would like to talk more about impact. And one of the things that, you know, through my journey with ProctorU and Measure Learning was um, there was always this balance of keeping human interaction involved in the education process in a meaningful way so that we were not relying entirely on artificial intelligence to make decisions that impacted people. Now, you can make an argument as we hurdle towards self-driving cars uh, that other industries are, are allowing artificial intelligence to make decisions on things that are life and death and not as, you know, more impactful in the moment uh, than, than education. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on how do you think, do you think 
human interaction will ever be completely eradicated from Ellis, from elements of education in the in the search for scale or do you think there will always have to be some kind of human element in the process it's it's a, it's a question that many consider i think possibly because i think for many particularly in education the word ai often means different things mm. we've been very much exposed the last few months this year particularly to the, the, the kind of advent of generative AI and the creation of something that wasn't human originated. Actually, I, the irony is most of what's having impact in schools is the non-generative AI. It's the tools to allow us to evidence based on data captured in more traditional means where there are gaps in learning or to use the tools to support personalized learning pathways where the non-gen AI is looking at a child, asking questions, if they answer them easily, stretch and challenge, taking them further up a subject pathway, but if they're not taking them back to try and rebuild on a foundational level. So I think sometimes we get a bit shiny, shiny, and we forget the core things that affect. On the bigger picture to your question, I genuinely believe there is a role for AI in making our use of time much more effective and to support learning. But that use of time we're freeing up is to allow us to further foster the human element of teaching and learning. The human element of teaching and learning is not just about the imparter of knowledge. It's about so much more in terms of a child's development, their sense of being, their sense of value, their opportunity to engage with others in a way that when we start to talk often blue sky, think ahead to what does an employer want? Well, actually 90% of the list of things that an employer wants from their future employees are those things that used to be called soft skills and often now referred to as power skills. What about your communication skills, your critical thinking? What about your resilience, your inquisitiveness, your creativity? In many ways, AI provides an opportunity for us to focus in on the things that are most human and are most valued. And no matter what kind of business or sector we're in, whilst AI can absolutely save us time in processing and analyzing things that as humans, we're not always the best at anyway, right. it unlocks the potential for us to leverage those tools to be innovative, to be human, to generate and foster and create relationships. And, and I genuinely don't believe that will ever change. Yeah, I, I think so. You, you explain that way more elegantly than I can ever explain it. I think I, the way I've always summed it up is, you know, you really want people to be doing the things that people are best at and technology to be doing the things that technology is best at. And I think that AI, it not, and this isn't just for education. I think this is sort of everywhere. I think is it, technology in and of itself is a useful tool when it makes people taking, it makes people better by taking the things off of their plate that they're more arrow prone on that, you know, fatigue sets in uh, and, and allows them to apply human intellect to things that it would be very difficult for an algorithm to do. And, you know, I heard, I heard something years ago when they were talking about the cloud, the cloud computing movement, someone said, you know, there is no cloud. There's just other people's hard drives. And I kind of feel that way about AI because I think we have, because we grew up on movies like Terminator and all these things where there's AI was this like spiritual being, right? And generative, generative AI, because it creates something new, I think can oftentimes feel like an alive kind of thing. But to sort of demystify it in a way, there is no such thing as AI. There's just really good algorithms, right? And I think that demystifies it a touch because it, it can 
seem like an alive thing and you start ascribing human elements to this thing and what if it you know what if it turns evil and what if it i, I just don't believe in all that i i think you, you make a really strong point i think the, the thing that confuses the issue most is not that we have artificial intelligence yet because we don't what we have seen the last year particularly is we've seen major advances in natural language processing mm, in other right. words a computer's ability to make us think we're talking with a sentient being and because the natural language processing has improved so rapidly that's allowed systems to provide content for us that we can actually use whereas before it would be a list of things that we'd then have to craft and shape ourselves the context of actual intelligence i think is we're still somewhere from i mean i guess the biggest litmus test always used to be the turing test could could a computer fool us well actually i think now we've realized that that test is no longer valid because natural language yes. processing means that absolutely a computer can converse with us in in grammar probably better than my own at times but that doesn't mean that it's intelligent because it's ultimately fundamentally linked to as you say the algorithm but more importantly the quality of the data sets and what we i think where we have more concerns is where we look to say where does those data sets and how do we validate them the authenticity you know another power skill how do we evidence whether information we consume is factual or not something we absolutely want to teach our learners as part of their digital citizenship so but now we're in that phase where it's all about do we trust the content yeah. how much do we need to human rationalize it as well so we, we're still some steps on the journey before we get to that point of the genuine intelligence of it. I, so i geek out when you say things like this because the turing test just to touch on that again is the idea and correct me if i'm saying it wrong is the idea that ai has sort of reached i want to say it's peak level but it is reaching a, a higher plane when it can fool a human um into thinking that it is a human right is that is that a good it's very much us having this chat but with the cameras off and me guessing whether you are or aren't real <laughs> right yeah absolutely i think well and we're super close to that in a lot of ways we've already gotten there i mean anybody that's played with chat gpt um yeah. can see that i mean if i was using chat gpt and people were asking me questions i could be reading what the thing said and it, with with the way it works with video and audio too um, making it where people can, it, it will look like a real person saying what the AI is saying. Yeah. But I agree with you. I don't think that, you know, it, it doesn't have ethics and it doesn't have um, a conscience and it doesn't have a, an ulterior motive. And all these things that are deeply human experiences um, are absent in artificial intelligence. Again, there is no such thing as artificial AI. There's just better and better excuse me, there is no such thing as artificial intelligence. There's just better and better algorithms. And if I want that to stick, I better be able to say it without stumbling over it like I just did. But I, I think that's, it's a yeah. true thing, right? If you think about it as but, just algorithms that are getting better and better, it, it helps you understand the process that we're growing on. I think so. And I think like all these things, you know, many of the reasons people push back on AI and let's think not that many months ago, chat GPT, we had school districts saying we're going to ban yeah. it or block it. And others saying this is a great opportunity to, to save staff work. All these things come about context. Quite a human thing is that kind of understanding the context to be able to validate information or get a sense of its, of its authenticity before we move forward. I would argue, you know, one of the most important skills that this gives us a catalyst to develop with our students and our learners is the art of effective questioning. Mm. 
like any technology, you know, garbage in, garbage out. If you don't ask the right question with the right parameters, you're not going to get the output in a way that you that you want. And, and that's a skill in itself. But you know what? That's a skill that as humans we do when we engage with other people. Yeah. Whether you're a salesperson wanting to understand the needs of a person buying a new vehicle or, or whether you're trying to support somebody who has a health issue, you know, your, your doctor will ask you a set of questions in order to get a sense and, and tease out the right responses. And so I, I think we always have to look at this thing as an opportunity. Let's refine the human aspect so that we can really be the value add and use these tools for what they're best at. You know, if you ask me to scan one million lines of data in a database and spot the trends, I might have to come back to you in a week <laughs> or two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, and I just think that um, I think the average person fails to understand what AI is, is going to do to their corner of the world. I think it's one of the most impactful technological innovations in my lifetime, for sure. But I also think in, in terms of, if you look at it from the ed tech lens, I think we've every sort of, every decade or so, we sort of update what it means, I was going to say to be smart, but update what it means to have useful intelligence. And what I mean by that is when I was growing up, a smart kid uh, knew the the capitals of all 50 states in the United States, um, could quickly, you know, do the multiplication tables. And, you know, 15, 20 years later, that's, that's interesting. But because that information is so readily available to everybody, thanks to the internet, it's not as useful as it was. And so I think that's happening also with AI. I think the ability to just quickly recall something or quickly write a blurb or create something new that doesn't take a lot of thought, just takes sort of rote memorization. I think those skills are less useful. And what's becoming more useful than it ever has been is what you just said, the ability to ask great questions, the ability to understand on a higher plane what it is that you're trying to accomplish so that you can get these new tools that you have to uh, bring out useful information. Am I way off the? I am I way off on that, or do you, no, see, do you see it that way too? You're not, but I, I, mean, I always try and look at these things and really kind of widen the lens. And I, and I absolutely agree with you. But but if we take that context, you know, uh, something I've written about a few times recently, and I've been worked as a co-chair on a work stream with the, uh, you know, on a, on a global basis, looking at how we do the PISA rankings as part of the OECD, uh, and I've written about how I'm not a fan of NAEP in the scoring that's done in the US. And, and, and bear with me, but one of the things is we tend to judge all, the, all of our education system is, is frankly outdated. And we judge things based on this snapshot of understanding, frankly, our ability to retain knowledge. And one of the things with that is it doesn't provide equity because different learners can share how much they understand and know in different ways. So technology potentially is opening up a bit more equity because actually if you sat a lot of students down that wouldn't perform in a written test but said you've got an hour, talk to Alexa about all you know on a subject, I bet you'd capture a lot more information. But more importantly, where around the world we've said, what are high-performing school systems? We've taken this measure, the PISA rankings, of academic achievement of 15-year-olds all around the world and then said, Singapore, Finland, these are the, the, the flag bearers of high-performing education. And for the first time now, the OECD are now looking to revise and have a new measure of, of the school systems based on education that promotes human flourishing. And it's much more than just about how much information we can contain. It's that broader sense of those critical thinking skills, those cognitive skills, the ability to develop a sense of awe and wonder. And I love that. 
that the fact we might appreciate an amazing landscape or fantastic yeah, music or, or literature and words, understanding that actually one of the successes of a, of a system is to give the biggest possible breadth to a child's learning experience, but most importantly, stimulate a love of learning. So at 16 or 18, we don't leave education thinking, thank goodness that's over. We think, now what next? What else can I learn? And I think that ties in so much because a large structure around human flourishing is about equipping people with skills. And skills links really relevantly now to the advent of AI and technology that we're looking at what the future workplace is and recognizing, as you say, I don't need to remember the capitals of every state or anything else because I can ask in a microphone and get the answer in milliseconds. What I do need to do is understand how to ask those questions, but more importantly, what to do with the answers. I need the skills to equip me to engage and collaborate and challenge and question. And so suddenly, actually, we are moving. And thank goodness, because I think all of our education systems have said, this kind of works. We'll just polish the edges, but we're not really ever willing to fundamentally revisit what is it we need for a future workforce. So, I mean, amen to what you're saying. I, I think it's so fun to talk to somebody like you. I think the industry is um, is better off when you have people like yourself who are trying to think about things in longer-term views. Um, and I think that's kind of, we're so, I think everybody is so hyper-focused on this new tool and what's it going to do to me right now uh, and how can it apply here and there. I, I I love, I think there's so much wisdom to gain from somebody and an organization like yours that's been in the game a long time, particularly in higher ed or in education, K-12, wherever it is that you guys, you work in, you guys don't just, you don't just do education. I know we talk ed tech a lot, but you guys do a lot more than education now, but it's so great to see um, your perspective in in what is a, a really challenging time for people to really understand, I think. I think we come full circle. If you want a slow smoked, mature and capable business, you've got to understand the landscape. You've got to invest your time and effort. And I think morally, you've got to give as much as you ask for. And that's what, you know, for us is the longevity is roll your sleeves up, get involved, make a lasting impact. And along the way, if you use your resources wisely, which is largely listen more than you speak, observe and understand by association you will craft products that are better suited and more appropriate and useful for schools and at the end of it if you have a successful business and hopefully you've made a bit of a difference and an impact and supported the education system for me that's much of much more value that's so good so we'll give one last final check to our pork here see how we are progressing oh okay so we're slow smoking it right and uh this is one of those things that Will take a little bit longer than the show will allow, but I'll post on my social media how they turn out. See how they're drying out a little bit, which is good, not in nice. a negative way. They're drying out and they're not they're not raw, and we're starting to cook. I've actually had the uh, I'm using a pellet smoker, which allows me to kind of dial up the heat exactly. So I'm going to dial it up just a little bit more to finish them off, and uh, I'll drop one in the mail to you, Al. I don't know if that's uh, <laughs> I don't know how that be. So listen, before we go, uh, tell everybody. Um, about net support and how they can connect with you guys if they think uh, that your line of thinking would be helpful to them. Thank you. I, I appreciate the opportunity. So you already hopefully at this point know we've been around a while trying to mature our understanding and our solutions for education. 
within the education space, um, our, our lead product that we offer to schools and districts uh, around the world, currently in 110 countries, is very easily called classroom.cloud. And it brings together the context of instructional technology, keeping young people safe, both in school and online, as well as the tools to manage the IT estate so that you can get the maximum value. Beyond that, we do things like school and district-wide notification systems, IT management systems, and good old corporate remote control tools. With our new hybrid workplace, really, really handy. You can find out more, classroom.cloud or netsupport-inc.com if you're in the US or netsupportsoftware.com in the UK. Um, but always happy to engage and very much as we've done today, which you know I've really enjoyed. I'd much rather start with a conversation. Well, I can vouch for the uh, nicest guy in ed tech now. So thank you, Al. It's been a pleasure to have you here. Guys, if you found some value in this episode, and I'm sure you did, especially if you're in the ed tech industry, uh, would you please share it with somebody that you think would also find value in there? And please uh, like us, share us on social media, give us a five-star rating where you're finding this podcast. And we'll see you next time on Slow Smoke Business. Thanks for being here, Al. Thank you.